0: This is David and David on real estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world
1: of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a boutique brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a boutique law firm focusing on residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham. Good morning and welcome to podcast 11 and thank you for uh, joining the David and David on real estate.
0: Good morning, David.
1: Good morning, David.
0: How are you today? So easy to remember your name somehow. (laughs) Well, the month of June,
1: so I bet you guys are busier now than you have been for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. Many years, June is our busiest month for closings. and This is certainly no exception. It's, it's our busiest month so far for the year. And I, I'd be surprised if we surpass it uh, by another month. So everybody's feeling it in our office, right? And everybody's working hard, uh, busy. You know, we, you know, we got to close things on time. So everybody's working extra, getting it all done. So it's a busy time, but everybody in our office knows to expect it. And uh, we know we have some quieter months generally, you know, in the winter months than we do in the spring and summer months. So it's a little bit cyclical, and and even this year with COVID is no exception. But uh, we're quite busy, so we don't complain. We're busy. We complain when we're not busy, right, David?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's always a great sign of how strong the real estate market is, and really what's happening out there. And you know, people are transacting, people are closing, people are finding opportunities, and. Um, you know, it, it's great to, uh, to see that. And I always enjoy, you know, hearing that from your office as well. We see it too. We're on the front lines. But knowing that, you know, the real estate market in general is really busy um, is, is always a great sign.
0: Yeah, no, it's a very active market. A lot of the signs we're seeing are for a pretty traditional, normal, like June type of market, uh, you know, heading into July. So, you know, people are out more you know, with uh, people are more, you know, the weather's good. People have one vaccine, some have two vaccines. There's a lot more activity going out. Everything's opened up a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, people are out there making plans and I think it should continue through the summer, the way things are looking.
1: I agree. Just wanted to give everybody a brief market overview as well. So um, I'm actually noticing that in the last week and a half, we're actually seeing a little bit of an uptick in in prices and activity and in buyer demand. So for the last eight weeks in a row, you know, we saw the market peak and we saw the market trending downwards. And now for the last week and a half, I'm actually noticing a little bit of an uptick. So, um, you know, great to see that. Uh, you know, I think with the vaccines, I think with the warmer weather, I think with people feeling a little bit more comfortable with the stay-at-home order and some time passing, I think our people people are going out there again. And um, uh, people have recognized that the market did soften a little bit from the peak uh, over the last eight weeks. And I think people are getting back out there. People are looking at real estate again. Uh, we're seeing. Um, People list a little bit uh, more and people becoming more comfortable with that situation. So good sign for the market.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a very good sign. And, and I think, you know, always the market settles down when there's more supply on the market. And, um, you know, it just stops some of the frenzy and the, the, the multi, multiple bidding and all that stuff. So it seems like it's calmed down a little bit from that point of view. We've talked about that recently, too. Um, but you know we're far from what we were, and if you remember, I think it was 2017. We were in a situation where everybody was like, "Agents, all you guys were saying to people, you know, just go ahead and you know buy whatever you want because we have no problem selling your property. You could buy first and sell later, right?" Uh, it it and- was, uh,
1: you know, what that was a really crazy time, and um, you know, as a professional, it's really hard to give your client advice because. I mean, nobody really has a crystal ball. You can really just deal with what's happening right in front of you at the time. But, um, you know, I was telling my buyers at the time that uh, not, not to go up and, and not to really look because prices were going so crazy in, in 2017, right? And then in July, I remember I called all my buyers and I literally said to them, hey, now is the time and that was my busiest July in the history of, uh, of me having my real estate license. I think I did like eight transactions in a matter of three weeks, just wow. because the market was softening and there were opportunities right. there finally. And you know, a lot of the people bought, you know, they had to sell. So it was just the right time. And, and, and the buyers that worked with me, David, let me tell you, like uh, they really benefited. You know, they, they got properties, like some, in some situations, $300,000 cheaper than they were selling a couple months uh, before in the high, right? So, um, you know, giving that advice to 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 the buyers and, and giving that guidance and, and helping them navigate those situations uh, is so paramount. And I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons why we go out of our way and we, you know, really teach our agents here at Sutton Summit Realty to um, really know the market, know the trends, know exactly what's going on, have a really po- good pulse on and really what's happening out there. And, and our market really changes on a daily basis. You know, on a daily basis, I feel that, you know, I, I feel the trends and, and where they're moving and, and what people are feeling and, and, and where the money is flowing. And it's so important to have that information to be able to make the right decisions.
0: Yeah, it was a, a pretty unusual time. I remember coming to your office back then to do a seminar. Well, in the days we could do live seminars, for it, and we called the seminar uh, "musical chairs" in the real estate market.
1: I remember that.
0: Remember that, that? because remember what that. what happens when the music stops? Like we've all played musical chairs, the music stops, and and there's not an enough chairs for everybody, and that's the market we're in all of a sudden. Because everybody's you know buy you know you can buy before you can sell, you'll have no problem selling, and all of a sudden the market changed. know like like it's inevitable right it's going to change and all of a sudden there's a bunch of people who had bought and they haven't sold yet and now what and everybody was panicking uh, you know what are my rights what do i do i got to close on a purchase i haven't sold yet i can't get my bridge loan i can't get my financing i gotta have two properties and we're doing all all that so we we did a, a seminar in your office to discuss that with the agents different strategies and you know what happens when you when you you, you come up to your closing date and you have to extend. And I'm dealing with one like that, you know, right now, I got to deal with it as soon as we get off this, uh, of this podcast, because I have, I have a client who, who did buy, even in this market, they bought and they hadn't sold yet. And we don't have too many of them right now, but this is on the advice of an agent. not one of your agents. So that's the, the good news. And they're upset. Believe me, they're very upset with their agent. They're already one, you know, they were talking yesterday about consulting with a litigation lawyer. because they're not sure, they don't like the way their agent handled it. And I tried to calm them down on that. I don't really think it's, the agent did anything really wrong. You know, maybe some of the advice wasn't good, but it, I don't think there was any malpractice. But they're looking at everything because they're panicking. They got like, you know, we're a, a week away from, their, from closing their purchase and they haven't sold their property yet. And because they haven't sold, they can't get a bridge loan because they don't, they've gone through lending. They said, we'll give you a bridge loan as soon as you've got a sale under contract. It doesn't matter when it's closing, but it's under contract, we'll give you a bridge loan. So now they can't get they can't get their funds together to close. So they've been saying, you know, can we get an extension? The seller doesn't want to grant an extension right now. And the buyers have been a- asking for a couple of weeks. So this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they raised, they said, what if we don't sell? Could, can we get an extension right now? So there's a lot of strategies that go into granting an extension or when you're requesting extension when you're on the other side and you have to grant an extension and i explained to them then if, if you come to a, a seller three weeks before the closing and say hey i haven't sold yet i don't have my financing together i need an extension what terms and conditions will you give me this the answer is likely to be we're not going to do anything Remember, We're closing on the closing date you got three weeks get your act together that, that's certainly what i would be telling the other side because as soon as you grant an extension it takes the pressure off them, right?
1: And I was going to say, I mean, everything sells at a certain price. Right. right? So the seller uh, or the buyer in this case has gotten themselves into a messy situation because they're reluctant to decrease the price to a point where, um, you know, their property is going to sell. And, you know, by asking for an extension, um, you know, they're not willing to let that pressure out. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of things go into play here. You hope that the agent that they're working with gave them the right advice when they first started the process about what the value of their house is. But again, you know, looking at the market and what has transpired in the last eight weeks, the market did change. And a lot of the time, this is a process. Getting your house ready for a market takes time. You have to declutter, you have to prepare, you have to stage it. You might have to paint, uh, paint the property. All that takes time, right? So you just wanna make sure that the market is the same when you first start those conversations. And as you go through that process, um, you know a good agent will update the seller and let them know hey Mr. Seller I know we had this conversation I know I gave you a figure and it's probably not what you want to hear but you know this is where we are today and I just want you to be mindful and cognizant of that fact and whatever decision you make in terms of buying uh, moving forward.
0: Right and as as have you mentioned in previous podcasts that we've done like it's it's easier for, for someone who's buying and selling to, to do it. You want to do it in the same market, right? So if you're going to be overpaying a little bit on your purchase because there's multi-bids going on, uh, you know, the agent would say, yeah, you're, you're paying a little more here, but on your sale, you're in the same market. You're going to get more. You should be getting more than, than you would in another market. So it, you, you hope it balances out. But sometimes it's, you're in that, the, that musical cheers <laughs> situation where all of a sudden you know like in this case where you've bought you've probably overpaid a little bit on the purchase you haven't sold yet and now the market's softened a little bit you're not getting multi-offers for sure they're dying to get one offer right now so now they're selling at a at, a, at probably a fair price okay but they were expecting to get more than the fair price based on the information that their agent probably gave to them and what was going on in the market at the time so there's always that risk of buying before you're before you sell And then from my point of view, I got to manage their expectations too, to some extent, because you're right. Like, you know, we need, the pressure has to stay on them. Like they can't get that price for that. They probably wanted to get on the sale, but they've got to be highly motivated to sell. They have to sell. They have a closing date. Right. And the seller's lawyer is going to, going to keep saying no to us to keep the pressure on, to force them to find reasonable terms to sell on. And the other thing is, you know, when you talk to the client, well, what's the other option? You can't get finance, can't get the bridge loan. Have they looked at getting private mortgage lending? And they had already done that uh, through a broker and everything, but they just didn't like it because it's really expensive. So they want the perfect scenario for themselves, which is get an extension till whenever we're comfortable with the price that we're selling our house and, and we're happy with all the mortgage terms that we get. Unfortunately, that's not their reality right now. They're the ones that did commit to a purchase. So they've got to perhaps accept a lower price on the sale of their house. They may have to to get private financing and pay a premium because it's way more expensive to get private mortgage money. But they've got a week to close. Right. And they've got to do one or the other. So and, and that's a hard thing to tell a client.
1: Yeah. But listen, if they get private financing, then they buy themselves a little bit more time. And they can yes. afford to uh, roll the dice a little bit more in terms of valuation um, on, on their house. Right. And, right. and I, mean, I say this all the time, like if price is an issue on the property, that means that the buyer that you're working with likes the property, right? If they fall in love with the property and they get emotionally attached to it, price becomes less of an issue. So if you look at the pool of buyers, right? You're looking for that, Small segment of the of the buyer pool where you know these people absolutely love your house, they have to have it. And they're willing to pay the price that you know you really want for your property right sometimes it takes a little bit longer in that cycle to find that particular buyer and it's okay right? It's okay to to be looking for that buyer. And, you know, by enlisting the help of a good agent, you sort through the market a lot faster to be able to connect those properties and those buyers together, right? By making sure you have the right marketing, making sure you have the right exposure, making sure you have the right description, making sure the house is staged properly, making sure it's prepped properly, all that comes into play in, 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 you know, helping connect that property with that particular
0: Right, and and those are all really good points, and I think you're bang on, like, you know, you and I didn't.
1: So, sometimes it's not a bad strategy, and again, having the right lawyer office, having the right uh, real estate office, uh, to be able to go through those motions is is critically important.
0: Yeah, and you picked up on, I think, the correct position right away, because you're experienced agent and broker, you know what it is. They're they're better off getting the bridge financing and closing on time and buying themselves time to sell. And that's what I'm trying to explain to them too, even though as as distasteful as it is to pay the high private mortgage fees, it's a better scenario because an extension will be granted on terms and maybe we'll get a week extension, maybe we get two weeks, who knows, but there's gonna be costs of getting that extension and then there's still uncertainty. We get the end of that, now we come up to the extended closing date and we still may not have sold the property and they still have to get financing. So they still might incur those same additional costs. So I, I think you're, you, you know we didn't discuss this before our podcast, but you're right away, you look at it, you think, oh, this is, this is the way they should go. They should get the private mortgage money. And I, I agree, like that's the way they should be going. They got to bite that bullet, close this on time, that buys them time. And I'm not even sure the terms that they're looking at, but private mortgage funding, it might be a six month term, might be a year term. It's not a five year term, it's gonna be a shorter term and they can buy them some time to sell and refinance the whole thing and pay it out. And that's—and and at least it avoids the risk of litigation too, because the other side can just terminate us on closing and then their deposits in jeopardy and they could be liable for damages and they'll take that position. And then they might say, by the way, we'll give you a few days extension anyways, or maybe we'll give you a week because they can always pull the plug on them a week later. Right? And you know what, litigation is
1: always the X factor. Like you just, you just don't know how far it's gonna go, you know, where it's gonna end up and, and how much money it's gonna cost you. And, and the other thing is you really put your faith into uh, your fate, sorry, not your fate, but your fate into somebody else's hands right like right. You, you lose all your decision making ability as soon as you you know go through that process because somebody else is going to make start making those decisions on your behalf yeah and and that can get very dangerous and very very expensive right and not to mention you know i always look at everything as an opportunity cost you know you only have a certain amount of hours in a day you have a certain amount of energy of, of what you can do with your time and the last thing you want to do is put that energy into going through the court system it's just negative energy it will it will suck you dry and that's going to be the most expensive part people don't realize it okay so you go through that whole process and cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars what about the opportunity cost you know how much time and energy have you lost that you could have you know, put into your business, uh, uh, investing in yourself, you know, buying properties, flipping, building, um, reading, investing, you know, living life. I mean, that's, that's the big opportunity cost here, right?
0: No, you're hundred percent correct. Like it's, it's not something that I would want anybody to go down. Like we've talked about it before podcast. Like, you know, I have nothing against litigation lawyers. They're great. Mm Uh, but it's a the <laughs> process of litigation is hard on you, whether you've done it before, or you're doing it the first time, it's not a good experience for anybody. So that's an important factor. And, but, but I know, you know, when, when we're asking for an extension, it depends which side of the fence you're on, uh, there's no right to an extension. It's something that has to be negotiated. So if I was the seller's lawyer in this particular case, and then so even a week before closing, and they come to me requesting an extension I would be reluctant to grant them that still I'd say no you've got a week get your act together you got a week we're not we're not closing we're going to be ready on the closing date you want to keep the pressure on and then if we get closer we might start thinking about granting it but I don't want to grant an extension unless I see there's some reality that they have an ability to close a week later like where's your mortgage commitment Do you have a mortgage commitment uh, you know, where are you at with the sale of your house? Have you reduced the price? You'd want to see something to know that it's real.
1: And that's huge. You know, I, I have realtors calling me all the time in, in exactly that same situation where they're representing the seller. And the first thing I say is, you know, tell me about the buyer's financial situation. Have you done comparables on, on the house that they currently have listed uh, on the market? Are they yeah. reasonable? Are they below, are they above market value? Does the house present well? You know, have you suggested to the other agent that day stage, repaint, reposition, cancel and relist, reduce the price? Because, you know, sometimes, and I mean, we have some amazing agents here at Sutton Summit, really, we really do. Like, I'm I'm so proud of the group that we have. You know, sometimes our agents have to be leaders. And, and lead and show the other agents the way and, 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 and help them through these tough situations, right? And I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're here to work together to uh, make sure that the transaction closes. So if, if, if my agents have to, you know, take the reins a little bit and get a little bit more involved and, and help the other agents uh, to see this transaction through, sometimes that's what it takes.
0: Right. And, and that's an, a really important point because not all agents are created equally, as we know, as not all lawyers are created equally. And it's sort of a peculiar concept to think that you have to go help another agent and, and look over their shoulder to see what they're doing. But 100% you do. You have to get involved in that. You have to go and take a look at that and you have to see if what they're doing is real and, and, and what their chances are and and to me as a lawyer i need that information i need that feedback that an agent can provide to let me know like should we be agreeing to an extension like is there what are the odds or what are the possibilities where are they at on potentially selling like why are we giving them a week when when nothing is going on or nothing's going to change we're just going to be in the same position a week later and if i don't have confidence that there is that activity going on then if we do grant an extension my terms have gone up. I want them to release the deposit monies right away on closing to the seller. let's give the seller the money let's get it out of the, the broker's trust. Maybe we want an additional deposit from them to show that they're that they're real and they're committed. Will they put more money in um, you know we want all of the costs covered obviously. Uh, you know we want to see a mortgage commitment. If there's you know the, the terms that we negotiate change depending on the feedback we get from a real estate agent as to what's going on right so it's it's very valuable and that's where you know we've talked before it's, there's a team approach on closing these things it's us as the as the lawyers involved but we need, we have to work hand in hand with the agents it's really important
1: if you, you know, it's so funny. We do these all the time and you you always know, keep taking the words right out of my mouth. You're absolutely right. And, and then the team extends to, you know, both agents working together and cooperating to extends to the, uh, the lawyer's office exchange. It, uh, you know, it, uh, it goes uh, beyond that to the, to the mortgage agent. We're all a team and we're all working to make sure that that buyers and sellers property come closing date closes. And that's the, the transaction is successful,
0: right? And and that's true. Like in this particular case, you know, as it turns out, when you dig down a little more and you t- we talk to the mortgage broker, he says, "No, I've got them private mortgage finance. It's available to them. It's been approved. We can get it. We can get it in time for closing, but it's expensive. They just don't want to choose that yet because they're trying to exhaust all all other options first, which is which is fair. They got to do that. But at the end of the day." That's probably their best solution. You've got, you know, if the private mortgage money is available in this case, take it. You know, open mortgage, six month, one year term, probably a prepayment penalty you're going to have to pay to pay it out early. But those are smaller costs compared to defaulting, you know, or being at the whim of of a seller to impose all kinds of uh, demands on for terms of an extension. And having to put further deposits down and having to release deposits etc etc so that's probably where we're going to go in this particular case I've just got to convince them when we get off this podcast that that's their best option
1: yeah and price is subjective like you know expensive is a subjective term right like uh, price reduction is expensive too right price is so psychological Mm -hmm. minimum price reduction that you're ever going to see is ten thousand dollars like Like if you let that amount sink in, like that's a lot of money, a private mortgage, you know, depending on the amount, the term, like if you need private financing for three months, I doubt that it would cost $10,000, you know, like it depends on the purchase price as well. Right. But if you're dealing with a condo or, you know, you're dealing with some sort of a bridge amount, you're probably not going to be there. Right. Especially if you only in for three, four, five months, you, you know, you might be close, but you might not quite be there. So, you know, so, you know, that that's a subjective, you know, term, right? Expensive. Um, right. A, a lot of times it's not right when you when you factor in, hey, do you need to do a fifty thousand dollar price reduction? Well, then private funds uh, are the cheaper solution, right? Like, Get private financing in place. Hold firm to your price. Make sure that the property is marketed marketed correctly. Look for that one buyer that falls in love, and and try to see if you can you know get a better price for your property, right? But again, just navigating that whole situation, need a strong team of people behind you that can give you the right guidance. That's the most important thing.
0: Right, and and everybody's input is important. You know, the agent's input mortgage broker's input, the lawyer's input, um, these are all important factors because extensions are not such a like a simple thing. Oh, we need an extension. And here's the standard extension that we need. There's no such thing as that, you know, we get into that sometimes when we're ready to close on a particular date, and we just run out of time, because the funding came in, we're just extending till the next day, or something like that. Everybody's ready. That's different. That's a simpler extension. But when you need an extension for a week or two weeks or more when there's this uncertainty uh, there's a lot of strategies involved and it's it's not an easy process so you need proper guidance on that uh, from from the lawyer who who can only give that guidance in cooperation with the real estate agent the mortgage broker and, and and the whole team right so it was it's um, always a unique situation every time one of these come up because there's, there's nothing standard about it. It's, uh, you know, th- there's always a, a different reason for extensions and different situation. We have to look at at it and, and what, you know, and what are we asking for? How much time do we really need uh, for an extension? It's, uh, anyways, it's always an interesting discussion. I know we wanted to get into some other stuff today too. I think you wanted to talk about, about rental items and things like that. So maybe we've got to switch gears.
1: Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so rental pr- items in the property, I mean, that, that's always a very controversial item and the um, reason I wanted to bring it up today is because um, there have been some situations in the past where some agents have run into uh, some difficulties, so I thought it'd be, uh, it'd be great just to talk a little bit about that. Um, so, David, when a property is sold, you know, let's talk about what are some of the things that are included in the sale?
0: Yeah, well, the biggest thing that the people have to focus on, and generally they're doing that with their agent when they're, when they're looking at properties, is you know, what is a fixture and what is a chattel? And that's really like the whole discussion because fixtures are you know, generally things that are attached to the property and that go with the property and they're generally included unless they're specifically excluded in agreement of purchase and sale. Uh, those are things that are bolted down and, and attached, et cetera. And there's always a gray area where we get into these discussions. But chattels, on the other hand, are, are really more commonly thought of as like the appliances and things like that, your fridge, stove, washer, dryer, things like that, that are movable. You know, they're big, not easy, but they're but they're all movable. Even they're just plugged in, but they're not fixed to the property. So things that are plugged in are generally movable and they're considered chattels. So there's a, a place in a standard agreement purchase and sale where you have to where you list the chattels that are supposed to be included. Are all the appliances supposed to be included? You describe them and it's really important to describe them properly in an agreement of purchase and sale so you get the right fridge and the right stove, you know, by, by serial number or by description in there. But those are things that are generally included. And if there's a particular thing from the chattels that you want excluded, then you make sure you mark that in there, right? Um, fixtures it sort of works the other way it's usually fixtures stay unless there's something specifically excluding a fixture like typically uh, people would put in an agreement like that all the light fixtures would be included okay and those are fixtures you know they're, they're bolted in and they're generally included but if someone wanted the chandelier in the dining room then they specifically have to exclude that and say you know except for the chandelier in the dining room and put that in the exclusion list okay so that's you know important of having an agent really walk you through those things when you're you know when you're on the sales side like what do you what do you want to take with you and what do you want to leave behind and sometimes the advice is well even, although if you want to take this an agent might say but you really should leave that behind because that's a good selling feature like that chandelier helps sell the the dining room Right. So even though you might have some attachment, you want to leave it. So maybe you want to or, or exclude it originally. But if they ask for it, maybe you throw that in to make your deal. Right.
1: Yeah. And a lot of the times if you do want to exclude something, I always encourage my sellers to actually move it from the from the house prior to showings. Right. So it, it just doesn't become a conversation items um, unless it's a big selling feature. If it is a big selling feature. Then, you know, we kind of look at it on a case by case scenario, especially if it has a lot of sentimental meanings to to the seller. But if it's not a selling feature, then I say, you know what, let's remove it. Let's get it out of here. Let's put it in the box. Let's put it in a garage. And that's what that way, uh, you know, it, it's just a mute point, and, and we don't have to deal with it and, and replace it with something that's going to show um, just as well, but that the seller doesn't have a sentimental value attached. And sometimes that's a really good strategy and it's all part of, you know, really taking the time and and prepping the house correctly before going on the market.
0: Yeah, and that's a key thing. And I know you guys are talking to your agents about that all the time, how to prep a house properly for sale. And it's, it's decluttering it and getting rid of some of the stuff so it shows better. But a lot of it is the staging too. And it's taking stuff out um, and putting other things in, whether it's pieces of furniture, whether it's, it's certain lighting, uh, you know, things like that, uh, that you're clearly not, not going to be selling with the property because you're, you're staging it. And I think that's great advice that you're giving people to, you know, the things that you really want to keep, don't leave it there.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, because if it's attractive to you, it might be attractive to the buyer too. And all of a sudden to make the deal, they're insisting on it.
1: Yeah. And, and listen, if you get the right price and you know has uh, the right amount of zeros behind it, then um, you know you might be having a different conversation with your uh, with your partner about that chandelier that uh, you have an emotional connection to, and you just don't want to be put in that situation if you don't have to. Right? And it's all part of the prep work. the The other part of the prep work that I really encourage all my agents to do is is really have a good understanding of what is a rental item in the property, right? And that's key in, in making sure that there's, you know, that that issue is addressed with, right? And usually the hot water tanks are the big uh, big items that are rentals in, in, in most transactions. Sometimes sellers will buy them out, but a lot of times those are uh, the rental items. But increasingly we've seen furnaces as a rental, we've seen air conditioning as, as a rental, uh, item and and I always encourage all my agents to uh, make sure that they have the correct amounts, you know, what is the monthly rental rates for for those items and then to contact whoever um, the uh, uh, the leasee is, the or of those items and actually get the agreement and attach it to the listing so that whoever is looking at the uh, property will know exactly what the terms with the buyout rate and, and uh, uh, what the monthly rates of those leased items are as well.
0: Yeah, and that's great advice. We're seeing issues all the time uh, come up for closing because uh, the agents and the sellers didn't put their minds to it. You know, it's not the seller's fault because I think that's the agent's responsibility to point those things out to them because they can be living in their place for who knows how many years. And, and you ask them, are you renting your furnace? You're renting your humidifier, your, your air conditioner, your hot water? T- and like, you know, you ask me, I wouldn't know off the top of my head what I what I own in the house and what's what's a rental. Because some of the rental items you're paying, you know, your monthly gas bill and it includes your consumption. And, and there's something in there for your monthly rental amount. No one, And people don't put their minds to it, but you have to put your minds to it when you're selling your your property. You got to figure it out because there's. Some people own some of those equi- that equipment, and if you own it, it, these are fixtures, and it's going to go with the sale of the property. Some of them are pure rentals. You're paying for your water tank, and it's $19.95 a month or $29.95 a month or something, and it's, and it's pure rental. and People like that because if a problem with their hot water tank comes up, they call the company, they come in, and they either fix it or they replace it, and, and that's it. It's not theirs. But and then there's sort of the hybrid, which are these rent to own leasing scenarios for some of this equipment where you're paying a rental amount, but you're on a contract to actually buy it out over a period of time and you can't get out of them, uh, you know, because you've got a contract that you're going to be it's a lease to own. And all of a sudden you're right in the middle of it and people aren't taking a look at that. And all of a sudden they've sold it and they think they've sold uh, the furnace because they own it. But turns out they, they only own half of it. They only paid for half and there's another $5,000 to be paid to buy it out completely. And now they've obligated themselves to leave it behind as, as an owned item, which means that they have to cough up the money before closing to finish buying it out.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and that's an obligation, right? Because I think some of those rent-to-owns are not transferable in a lot of the cases, so, um, and, and the reason companies do this is because, you know, they want a triggering event where they get paid a lump sum of money, right? And uh, it's their way of basically saying, you know what, we know that at some point you're probably going to move. And when that happens, you know, we're going to get a windfall of, of, of a little bit of money here, right? And a lot of the times, you know, people are paying triple the cost of what an AC or a furnace should should uh, in in those contracts. So... Um, you know, if you're a seller, or if you're a homeowner, and you're looking at replacing some of these big ticket items, I, I realize that they're expensive. But a lot of the times, it's a lot cheaper to, you know, put it on your line of credit or, you know, put it on, you know, dig, dig, dig deep into your savings account, as opposed to getting into these uh, leasing or rental own contracts. contracts are extremely expensive and most people don't realize how much they actually cost until they sell their house and they have to deal with what's in front of them.
0: Right, and then they've got to buy it out. And sometimes these lease-owned contracts uh, are also secured by the registration of something on title. So we can't close the transaction without clearing the title for the buyer. And the only way to clear the title is to pay off those contracts. Right. So. Uh, so that means, you know, there's going to be a cost to the seller. So if this, so that's why sellers have to know what they have and they need their agent sometimes to help them figure it out because they don't understand it. Cause if they're in the middle of one of these rent to own contracts, they have to know that they're, they're halfway through and there's another $5,000 to be paid and either they're going to pay it and, and sell an owned uh, furnace to a buyer or they've got to put that into the agreement of purchase and sale. They've got to disclose that, that it's on a rent to own. We're halfway. This is the amount that still has to be paid. And we want, and the buyer agrees to assume that rental contract, that rent to own contract and pay whatever that monthly amount is. And they keep doing that for the next couple of years. Eventually they will own it, but it's got to be clearly put into the agreement of purchase and sale that the buyer is going to assume that. And like you said before, you also have to find out in advance, can the buyer assume that you got to get in touch with the company first to make sure that it is transferable because sometimes these contracts say they're not. And then the seller has no choice, but to, but to finish paying it out. And, you know, and that's a, that's a big cost that they may have not expected.
1: Yep. And it all goes to, you know, making sure you pre-plan and go through the whole process and go through a due diligence representing the seller, Uh, you know, I've heard of situations where the seller said, listen, you know, had I known that there's going to be a $9,000 bill for paying off my furnace, I wouldn't have uh, listed the house for sale and gone through this whole process, right? But a lot of the times after they commit to actually going through the transaction, they find out about these hidden costs, that's when people get really upset and, and, you know, that's why I can't stress enough that you have to kind of go through the due diligence look at those contracts, make the phone call, get something in writing, preferably an email from Enbridge or, or Reliance or, or whoever um, actually owns the uh, the piece of equipment, what the buyout amount is, attach the contract, attach that email with the buyout amount uh, to the agreement of purchase and sale, make all parties initial that everybody understands what's going on, you know, what the amounts are, what, what the terms are and, uh, you know, and, and, and you have to deal with uh, all those situations in an upfront manner.
0: Yeah. And look, as a lawyer, I wish that every agent had the exact advice that you just gave right now and that, that type of instruction to their agents, because that's what they should be doing. That's how an agent adds value to the whole transactions, not just about selling a property and buying a property. It's helping them through the whole process because nobody likes these hidden fees and these hidden costs. You know, on on my end, you know, we get involved on it when when there's already an issue. Right. The the ink is already dried on the agreement of purchase and sale, sometimes, you know, weeks before we even see the contract. But now we have to find a way to close with that contract. These issues come up, you know, closer to closing and uh, and they wouldn't come up if the agents listen to that exact advice that you just gave. Right. So they have to know these things and deal with it and be on top of it because uh, it's, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable position for everybody, um, you know, and, and we get in our office and, and clients, well, what do I do? And my agent didn't tell me, like, we're always really reluctant to throw the agent under the bus on these things, even though we think, you know, the agent should have told you about it. Those words just don't come out of my mouth easily. Like, I just hate saying that, you know, I like to protect the agent. Uh, but my obligation is really to the client. Um, but uh, but I'm still trying to do this. So we we, tra- we talk about this in our lawyer meetings all the time. Like we we still take an approach. That we don't want to just blame the agent and, and so oh you know the agent's gonna should have told you this. So get the five thousand dollars from the agent's commission. Like some lawyers would tell their clients to do that. Like the first thing. That's well, you the, know, the, more, the more important issue is just to you know
1: actually deal with the issue at hand as opposed to lay the blame, right? So right. like we said, your office is always involved to the point where the ink is already drawing the page, right? So the issue is there. So the more important prevalent issue is, you know, help the client navigate the situation, which is, you know, kind of the priority, right?
0: Right. And, you know, and bottom line, it's, you know, when things go bad, clients look to play the blame game. It's never their fault. Yeah. The yeah. reality it's is- In the last
1: webinar as well right I mean when the market goes down and and you know. Those those extension conversations and then the blame the game goes goes a completely different uh, different way right when the market moves up, you know. the, uh, the benefit. Yeah, and and this, you know the the party that thinks they're wrong, all of a sudden you know it's it's not a big deal because uh, the market's moving in in the right direction, right? So again, I think if uh, all the agents you know follow the rules and do the due diligence and, and really understand some of these pain points, which is why I wanted to talk about rental items because. know at the end of the day the reason we're doing this podcast is to really raise the bar in the industry we both love the real estate industry uh you know and we're so invested in it um and i think this is one of those issues that you know there's so many mistakes out there and i i want all the agents out there to really pay attention and homeowners too like it's you know sitting on this side of the uh, chair david it's really interesting for me to hear your perspective that as a homeowner um, you don't even realize what is a rental item, right? And, and to me, right away, as a brokerage owner, I'm thinking, okay, what mechanisms can I put and what training can I give to my agents to make them overcome that obstacle, right? Because sometimes we assume that, hey, you're a homeowner. You really should know what is a rental item, what isn't a rental item, right? And when we're sitting down and, and going through that process of, of, of going through a listing presentation, you're going to tell me, right? Right. And I just realized after our podcast today that uh, that might not be the most secure way of moving forward. Right. So um, again, you know, going through these conversations and going through these motions um, is super, super important. And, 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 you know, that's where a lot of these mistakes can be found and dealt with.
0: Yeah. And and look, I'm, I'm a homeowner like, like other people are. And if if you ask me today what we own and what we don't own, I I couldn't tell you, you know, as it happens, there's certain bills that I look after monthly bills and stuff. And there's certain bills that my wife looks after for no particular reason. It's just, just, just evolved into that. And she happens to look after most of the utility bills when they come in. So I wouldn't even be able to tell you, are are we paying a rental fee on some of our equipment or not? Or is it just the gas bill or isn't like, I, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. But I don't really have to know right now because we're not selling but if we were selling it then all of a sudden then I do have an obligation as a homeowner to figure it out and find out because that's where the buck should stop no matter what advice you get from an agent or a lawyer it really is the seller's responsibility to know and and to provide that information right but uh, sometimes they, they they don't we just make assumptions oh I must own that I must own my furnace I don't remember you know, have paying a bill or something, but turns out your wife is paying the bill, so you, you don't know about it. Uh, that's not an excuse, right? You can't get, oh, oh you can't you come to a court later and say, oh, I didn't know that I had to pay $5,000 about that contract because my wife was paying the monthly bill and I didn't look at it. Like, you know, you're laughed out of court, right?
1: But I think the most important thing, thing here to take away is that the, the question needs to be asked, right? And time needs to be spent addressing those issues upfront and and you know the other thing that i hate is when when a realtor goes and lists a house and the whole process gets done really quickly and fast like sign the paperwork today tomorrow the house is on the market yeah you know 99 times out of 100 in order to really get that best price and provide that best service that process takes a little bit of time right going through that due diligence process prepping the house, making, you know, doing your comparable search. You know, I, I, when I was an agent, I even used to take some of my sellers and go tour some of the other houses that are listed because I always said to say to them, listen, the buyer is going to be educated. They're not going to come into the first house they see and spend a million dollars. They're going to go see 20 properties, right? So as a seller, you know, we need to educate you on this process just as well as the buyer's gonna be educated. So, you know, let's go look at your three biggest com- competitor listings and let's compare them and let's talk about that, right? And, and by the way, agents, that can really help you with pricing your properties, right? And setting expectations with your sellers, intent, right? We, we deal with that all the time. Whenever we have really difficult sellers, I always tell my, my, my uh, agents, hey, listen, book some appointments, go take them out, educate them, Get them to see that, you know, there's other properties that are cheaper, uh, better positioned, have more qu- quality upgrades and, and get their feedback on the ground and works wonders. So keep All that right. in the back of your pocket. But, you yeah. know, it, that process takes time and it can't be rushed. And, and again, having these tough questions up front uh, will eliminate a lot of issues uh, when when uh, the closing comes.
0: Right. And and I guess the lesson is it's not enough just for an agent to say, well, here's some comparables. Sometimes you have to show them the comparables. Sometimes it's not enough to see them on paper with the list of features that are included or not included. Uh, Sometimes you got to go a little bit further to do that. And and I think that that's great advice. The other thing is, you know, we're just talking about this. Certain things when you talk about channels and fixtures are a little bit more of a gray area is it a fixture? Is it a chattel? Like I had an inquiry this morning about TV wall mounts. Okay. So everybody's got these big, huge TVs now on, on their walls and everything. And they've got, but they're in these big brackets that are mounted in there. So here I've got a transit. It's a six and a half million dollars sale of a house client selling. They excluded the two TVs in the house. The TVs themselves are clear in their, in the description of the chattels that these TVs are excluded. We're not closing for another six, eight weeks, but all of a sudden he's like so concerned because the, the, there was a visit and the buyer is expect, wants to make sure that the wall mounts from the TVs are staying. And he sort of assumed, well, I'm keeping the TVs, I'm keeping the wall mounts too. But the, the, the answer is the wall mounts are bolted in and those are fixtures and they're supposed to stay. And if you wanted them excluded, they should have been listed as exclusions from from the fixtures again, probably on the advice of the agent at the time, because they excluded the TVs, but they didn't exclude the wall mounts. Okay, now I don't know for sure how much the wall mounts cost, but they might be fifty bucks each, hundred bucks each. I'm sure they're good, expensive wall mounts for these big TVs, right? But now he's you know he's fretting over you know this $100, 200 two hundred dollar cost on a six and a half million dollar transaction, like wherever he's going to go, he's going to take his TVs. And, he, and so he's going to have to get new wall mounts in his new place. Cause he's going to have to leave these behind. Right. It's
1: always the little things, right? Like you have, it, it's a big transaction, right? But it's those little things agents bring to the table that, that really make the difference between an amazing customer service experience a good customer service experience and a poor customer service experience right, right. And, and even the little things like i see when tv mounting uh, br- uh, mounting brackets get excluded a lot of the times um you know and this is the homeowner will take the the second part of the mountain uh, the bracket that's actually mounted to the tv right? <laughs> the mount that's left on the wall is useless without the sensor, out, right? The
0: so, like TV, yeah.
1: The homeowners, if, if you do, if you're gonna leave the mounting bracket, make sure you leave both pieces so the buyer <laughs> can actually utilize the brackets, uh, you know, and, and leave all the screws as well. But uh, it's those little things that make a big difference for sure.
0: Right. And here, you know, when the agent they had the discussion about keeping the TVs and the agent should have made it clear to him, too. Yeah, you're keeping the TVs, but if you want the wall mounts, because normally that's they're going to stay. You're going to get new wall mounts in your new house because that's a fixture that should stay. If you really want them, we have to specifically exclude them. And if they would have done that, you know, I'm sure that these wouldn't have been deal breakers at the time. Yeah. and and it would have been clear. Instead, now it's six weeks before closing, you know, there's there's emails going back and forth. You know, because he's already exhausted this process through the agents and now they want the lawyers involved to determine. So, so how much time are we going to spend on this to try and save them two hundred dollars in the cost of of wall mounts?
1: Yeah. So. One uh, one other issue I really wanted to bring to light today, and I see this happening all the time, is um, agents love to go over and above to protect their buyer client. And I always see this. I see this a lot of the times in Schedule A. There's a phrase where basically it says that the seller agrees to discharge all the ins and encumbrances on closing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I always cringe when I see that. Because I mean, obviously it's going to be discharged, right? But you have to deal with it in the proper time frame as well, right? And the other thing is, Schedule A supersedes everything else in the agreement. So you know now the question is, if you have something under a rental item that's registered on title, right? And now we have in Schedule A that seller agrees to, um, you know, pay discharge all liens and encumbrances. Well, you just committed the seller to basically paying off that rental item that's registered on title before closing.
0: Right. Yeah, if it happens to be registered and not there isn't always a registration for those rentals, but if it is registered, you're right. We have to clear title because uh, the buyer is, is entitled to a clear title with no mortgages on it, no other liens against anything else that goes with the land, because if it's there, um, you, you know, a new mortgage is gonna go behind it or you gotta get a postponement. And they're not gonna postpone it to the new mortgage. They're gonna say, no, the mortgage is gonna go behind us because we, because if, they, if the new buyer defaults, we want the right to go in and pull that equipment out of the house. So it's the seller's obligation to clean all that up. Okay, buyer's entitled to get the property without any liens or encumbrances on it for, and against anything that's supposed to be included.
1: Or even a rental item in this case.
0: Yeah, or if it's a, a rental item,
1: right? So be you know, my my message to all the agents out there is just be very cautious when you see that terminology in Schedule A. You know, nine times out of ten, it won't get you into trouble because I mean, you know, the the expectation is that buyer is going to receive a clear title. But when you're dealing with rental items that are registered on title, you know, it's. Uh, it's dangerous territory that you're that you're navigating. So pay close attention to that.
0: Right. And the agents should be looking to see what is on title before they do, you know, get a listing out there before they sign an agreement of purchase sale. So you want to make sure who the homeowner is. If people don't remember how they own title. They may have owned title for 15, 20 years. They don't remember if it was Mr. and Mrs. both on title, or was it just Mr. Alone for some reason or Mrs. Alone? Like you just you, you don't know unless you check, so you've got to make sure you've got the proper seller. So you're checking title, and while you're checking, you can um, people don't know how many mortgages they have. I ask clients all the time, "How many mortgages are on your property?" And they say, "Oh, we have one mortgage." Oh, do, do you have a line of credit? Oh, yeah, we have a line of credit too. Is it secured by a mortgage on title? I don't know. I don't remember. Right. Maybe it's secured under maybe there's one mortgage that covers both the mortgage loan and the line of credit that happens a lot of times, too, but it's only one registration. Sometimes right. it's two separate registrations. Sometimes there's all these these other notices of security interest for some of these the, this equipment, the furnace and the hot water tank. So it's a good idea to check to see what's on title. So we know what we're getting off, We have to get off title.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean the easiest way for us to do the latter part of that is to send you guys an email and send you guys the property address and and uh, the legal description and and you know um, you guys always help out and 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 uh, you know can provide that information to us.
0: Right. Um, yeah, there's a cost to a seller for doing the sub The government charges fees for giving the information, but still, it's you know it's going to cost seventy five bucks or something like that to. To do a quick sub search to see what's there, but you know that compared to running into a situation where you didn't do it and there's a notice of security interest registered on title for this equipment and you didn't know about it, and now you've obligated the seller to clear the title and now they got to buy that out and that's going to cost them ten thousand to buy that equipment out. It, it would this would have been better to spend the seventy-five bucks to find out.
1: Yeah. The other thing is nine times out of ten when when there is something registered on title for a rental item, um, it usually happens in condominium buildings and it usually happens in all the apartments, right? So, um, again, not all agents are created equal and you can't rely on previous listings, but you should take a look at the previous listings and you should see how some of those rental items are being described and listed you know, minimum three listings, don't just look at the last sale, because again, you can't rely solely on, 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 on the previous information that was provided, but it is a good reference point And it's a good starting point as well, just to see, because like I said, like, or like you mentioned, some, some homeowners don't realize that something is a rental item. Um, and, and that could be one way to just kind of take a look and see what else is happening in, in that building.
0: Yeah, and, and that could be a discussion for another podcast too. Like, is the information that's in a listing binding on a seller? Uh, because more often than not, people be surprised to know that it's not. The mistakes happen in listings, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. There's exaggeration, but it's not the information in a listing is not binding on a seller in most cases. So that could be a topic for another uh, for another podcast
1: sounds great to me looking forward to it david thank you so much for spending the time today it was a blast as always and looking forward to the next uh next top uh podcast and i think that's a great topic i think that's exactly what we should uh
0: continue into okay we'll do it have a good week everybody. take care stay safe and get out there buy some real estate
1: yeah and get out there enjoy the nice weather as well (laughs) thanks dave okay bye